This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear REO Speedwagon on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area and you're feeling the need to play some arcade games, you can't fight the feeling, so give in. Head over to the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. This is Starcade, TV's first video arcade game show, starring your favorite video games and some brand new ones being introduced to the public for the first time anywhere. And now, here's your host for Starcade. I'm Mike McGinnis. And vice versa. No, no, that's not true. <laughs> okay, then I'm Carrie Tidvinsky. That's a little bit better, I think. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Back for another week after a wonderful holiday, well, the first half of the holiday season is over, the family part, the part where you hang out with your whatever family members you can stand for a day or two. So basically you're saying the drinking with family part is over and the drinking alone part has begun. <laughs> well, normally it would be drinking with friends, but who are we kidding here? Yes, drinking alone <laughs> is, is, is up for next week for, well, everybody that I know. Excellent. <laughs> and I am you? looking. Oh, I, I, my, my holiday was fantastic. How about yours? Oh, it was pretty good. Pretty good. Cool. Cool. Lots of family time and lots of food. I had a really good time. Family time. And there was wine flowing. So everybody got along. And I think that was a good thing. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. Were there any arcades during or arcade gaming? No. Your family, the, uh, gaming family? The one up tends to be, tends to have a, a weird schedule anyway during the holidays. And I know they were, uh, they were doing the stuff with the one up Colfax or whatever that music space is mm -hmm. now called. I, I was too lazy and maybe slightly inebriated to, to bother to look up when the place was actually open. So <laughs> my arcade experience this past couple of weeks has been limited to what we're going to talk about today. My arcade experience was limited, too, because we have no arcades in my city. Boo, boo, my city. Oh, boo, Toronto. So annoying. Fourth largest city in the freaking continent, and we don't have any arcades. That sucks, man. It does. We have, do we have really good um, gaming cafes. There's a bunch that are, but they're board game oriented. So there's one called Snakes and Lattes I like a lot. Um, and you'll go there and they'll have, you know, 2,000 board games. These big cafes, you bring out games, you play. There's lots of those in the city now, but no actual arcade game places to go to. Very annoying. Well, hey, now that Rob Ford has a bunch of time on his hands, maybe you could lobby him <sighs> to open some of those. Rob Ford should be doing a bunch of time. <laughs> yes, he can cut the ribbon in front of your basement arcade, Carrington. I live in a condo. I'm not going to really have a basement arcade. <laughs> the people below me don't want me to have a basement Probably arcade. Probably not. Hey, no. you down on the seventh floor, guess what I'm doing? <laughs> so anyway, uh, this is sort of a roundabout way of us getting to this week's topic, which is not a game, but a game show. Carrington, mm -hmm. tell me about what we're going to talk about, please. Well, yeah, we're totally doing something different this time. Like you announced last week, you have decided to send us off on a, an arcade adventure of a different sort, and we are going to talk about a television show called Starcade that ran back in the 80s. Indeed. Starcade was a game show created and developed by James Caruso and Mavis Arthur and originally ran from 1982 to 1983 on the WTBS channel. I guess that's a channel or maybe that's a network. I, I'm not really sure. And then it was syndicated uh, and had a syndicated run from 83 to 84 for a total of 133 episodes plus three or maybe four pilots. Yes, I have found info about three pilots. A few places mention four 
but I don't think there was actually a fourth pilot. I think it got picked up after the third official real pilot. So I found lots of info about the first three. And you're right, it was those James Crusoe and Mavis E. Arthur. They came up with the idea and then they funded the pilots, all three of them, with their own money. And the first pilot which unfortunately doesn't exist in a full format, as far as I can tell, that you can watch online. But it was completely different than the show that Starcade eventually began. Uh, in the first show, it had 24 contestants, and they were in three rows of eight players each. And then each row had the same game. So you had eight people playing Defender, eight people playing Centipede, and then eight people playing Pac-Man all at the same time. And then what happened is, after that round where the groups of eight are all playing, the high score for each game, one of the three groups of uh, eight people, one each, would be selected. The highest score would now play off against the winner from the other two games. So those three current high score people would then play off on a fourth game. In this instance, the fourth game was Berserk. And then the winner of that would win the, the big prizes. And in this case, it was their very own Asteroids Deluxe game and an Apple II. The host was different. It was a guy named Mike Arizoni, I think. Arizoni? I don't know. He was the <laughs> captain of your country's Olympic hockey team in 1980. So that was the one time you guys got really into hockey. You beat Russia and you won the gold and you kind of ignored it ever since then. None of us up here were that impressed. Yeah, it's very strange because he was the one that actually scored the game-winning goal against the Russians in 80. See, there you go. And he was the host. And from all accounts, the show was a complete disaster. Oh, one of the other elements was there was a celebrity guest player. And it was supposed to be Gil Gerard. And he, he from, um, from Buck Rogers. From Buck Rogers. And the idea, I guess, was there was a Buck Rogers game and the show was out and let's have him <laughs> on. But then last minute, I guess his wife was going into labor or something, so he couldn't make it. So they brought in a last minute replacement, which was Larry Wilcox, one of the guys from Chips. So the guy from Chips came in. 24 people would play off to bring it down to three. Those three people would play off to find the winner on Berserk. And then the idea of the show was at the end, there would be another round of playing where the overall winner would play just for fun against a celebrity, in this case, uh, Larry Wilcox. And then they played, um, I think it was Donkey Kong. They're saying for this version, they played just for fun. The problem is like the whole show was a disaster. It took something like 10 or 12 hours of prep time right before filming it was supposed to shoot within like two hours. It took five or six hours to shoot. It had way more crew. It was booked for like a 10 person crew that took 43 people to do it. The host, your hockey player guy <laughs> was crazily nervous and it never really be on television. He flubbed all his lines and he was sweating like crazy. And I guess it was, it then took like 12 hours to edit the show. Wilcox uh, was ready to walk off the set because everything was taking so long. So he's like this way beyond my contract. I'm just leaving. So they had to like shoot bits with him so they could edit them in later. The whole thing was a disaster. They did bundle up though and then bring it over to I think NBC to try to get it picked up and it didn't get picked up they said I just no it, they did broadcast it because you could just book time on stations and broadcast them locally it actually broadcast a few times out in California and it was really popular in its time slot but then just seemed like such a nightmare to produce and very very expensive and it never got picked up so that was sort of like the first pilot and it went nowhere and then they did a second pilot sounds like with with so much action going on in the studio and so many players and I, I can imagine that it would just be a nightmare to have to edit that yeah i don't think anybody would really want to do that long term so it makes sense that while it was popular hey look there's people playing arcade games on tv how cool is this i've never seen this before from a production end of things no i could see that you know nobody wanting to to be involved with that more than one or two shows well and the only other trivia i know about the first episode or the first pilot was that nolan bushnell from oh, you know, Atari, Atari yeah. founder, he was the one who talked local game distributor that buys a lot of Atari games. He talked them 
into going and approaching a bunch of manufacturers, Atari included, to loan games to the pilot. It was Nolan Bushnell who got behind it and said, this could be really good as a way to promote arcade games and arcade brands, including Atari, on television and get people excited about upcoming games. So it was really him that brought everything together. It was his sort of his vision, and he convinced everybody to, to loan the games. That's how they got the games in the first place. That sounds like a role that he played over and over throughout his career. He was mm-hmm. good at... at, at- Having a vision and putting it forth in a way that other people could understand and get behind. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Crusoe and Arthur decided, okay, this didn't fly, but I think we can tweak the game and let's try to repitch it. So they just tweaked the concept and then they approached a guy, I guess, called Phil Ross, who is billed as the then VP of O&O Programming. Took me ages to look up what that means. It means owned and operated programming for NBC. So that's when NBC would put their own money into a, a show and then they would own it. Oh, so right. it would be so something... this is their own property. Gotcha. Exactly. And so they would approach him saying, hey, why don't you fund the show and we'll basically sell it to NBC and then NBC would own it. It was like one way the shows would be done. This Phil Ross guy said, I like the concept, but you need, first of all, your host. <laughs> you absolutely <laughs> need a new host. Don't even go back to that last guy. And so he suggested they, they contact Alex Trebek. So he said, he's really good. Get him to do it. So they paid, uh, Alex Trebek was between hosting gigs. He said, okay, I'll do it. They paid him $5,000 and he came in and he hosted the new pilot. This is Starcade, a video arcade game show, a game show for today. And here's our host, Alex Trebek. Thank you, Kevin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Starcade, a show that features some of today's most popular video arcade games and some of the newest ones as well. As usual on the show, we have two enterprising young players who think they can handle these machines quite well, and I'm sure they're anxious to demonstrate their game-playing skills. So let's get right to it and meet them. Rich, would you tell the folks something about... So they shot a second pilot, they retweaked the whole show, and it was really similar to what became the eventual actual show... Uh, one of the big differences was because NBC was now quite serious. And I said, you know, maybe this will go and we like the format. You got a host we like. So what NBC said, what we're really going to contribute is we're going to send over two standards and practices people who are going to oversee every single thing you do because you'll, this is really easy to get yourself sued. They taught him all about the quiz show scandals and all these things. He said, you can't just have a game running and you say, oh, I think he had the high score and here have an arcade thing. And it, it's too shady. It looks like too rife for people to cheat or to game the system. Mm-hmm. So they said, we're sending over a couple of S and P lawyers and they're going to oversee every single thing you do. <laughs> so, so this time it took twice as long to shoot and 24 hours to edit because <laughs> you had S&P lawyers involved. And um, after all of that, they finally got it and got all the NBC S&P people happy. They brought the show to NBC and NBC said, you know what? We've changed our mind. We're not interested. So it got turned out again. So by this point, I guess Crusoe and Arthur are $60,000 into this uh, attempt, all with their own money. Like they haven't gone out and raised funds. They're just bankrolling them themselves. So $60,000 in, they have two pilots that were sort of nightmares to produce and nobody's bought it and they're getting a little desperate. And they're basically the people behind uh, JM Productions. So JM Productions steers them towards cable tv instead of broadcast tv and it's weird to think like that's an odd thing but at the time cable tv was actually relatively new everybody in the early 80s and through the 70s and earlier broadcast nbc abc cbs that's real television and everything else is kind of like uh wayne's world (laughs) so whereas cable was starting to go exactly cruise on arthur said you know what this could work if we can do it and go big and it's not going to be some little public access thing let's let's 
hitch ourselves to a decent cable thing. And maybe there's a chance at this time cable has like maybe only 10 or 20% penetration into the U S only about 20% of America could even get cable, but it was growing and it looked like it might be the future. So they did a deal with WTBS, which was Ted Turner's thing. They leaped on board when Ted Turner was just getting into this. And the WTBS superstation was his syndication arm where they were looking to produce television and go do like the cable thing that has now become most of TV. They did the deal with Ted Turner got a contract to produce 13 episodes. Ted Turner brokered a deal to bring on a sponsor. And so Parker Brothers came on as the first sponsor. Alex Trebek, because this took so long, Alex Trebek was now no longer available. He got picked up for doing something else. I don't know, maybe Jeopardy, who knows. But Turner said he wanted a fresh, like sort of a younger host and somebody who would be more enthusiastic and, and more into it because Trebek's really... You're very professional, but also a bit staid for this kind of you know, appeal to young kids sort of show. So a little bit, a little bit librarianish, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So very professional, but maybe not the right fit for this show. So Turner suggested uh, Mark Richards, who then was selected as the new host and came on board. They had already worked out the standard practices stuff, so the production was a little easier. But they had two big technical hurdles left. One, they had yet to ever figure out how to film the video games because like nothing's in sync. You've got these video displays running at you know 30 hertz or 60 hertz or whatever and they're not in sync with the television cameras that are using filament so you get that weird rolling effect Mm -hmm. so he said that was one of the major issues and i can't find anything on the net that tells me how they solved it i don't know i guess they solved it but i don't know how and the other one was how still how to guarantee accurate scoring so the big hang-up was how do you guarantee that after like the 50 seconds we'll we'll get a while into the structure of the show but if the people are two guys are playing head-to-head for 50 seconds or 30 seconds how do you guarantee that they get exactly 30 seconds and who the real winner is and there's no no cheating and all that. So they finally solved it with a super high tech idea, which is they bought a TRS-80 Radio Shack computer <laughs> that had a built-in clock and was able to just pause the videotape. So, so <laughs> put the videotape on, you'll press space bar, and that'll start a timer. And after exactly 30 seconds, it'll just stop the videotape and it'll stop recording. So you look at the last frame you recorded and that's the score. And oh that was good enough for S&P. <laughs> and that, that's how the show, for its entire length, they were using this, this Radio Shack TRS-80 computer behind the scenes because it had a decent enough clock and could do 30 seconds. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And so then that's basically how they got picked up for their the first 13 episodes which is essentially season one but then got extended and so that essentially became the first season and it ran on wtbs of course on saturday mornings at nine o'clock eastern time but i don't know if it ran in canada because here's my admission i know lots about this because i've been researching it the last week i've been watching the show online for the last couple of years because it's fun but i never watched this as a kid never heard about it i'm not even sure if it played in canada that was the first time that I saw it, was the, the TBS reruns on Saturday mornings. It went, wrapped up in January of 1985, which is kind of my junior high school years, 80, September of 84 to, to January of 85, and then the reruns probably kind of around that time. So, I, And I distinctly recall uh, having some, some rather vicious rows with my sister over what, she, what we were going to watch, and I insisted on this, and she wanted to watch Strawberry Shortcake or something. And I usually lost, but when I won, that's what we watched. So you're saying that uh, next show we'll be discussing Strawberry Shortcake? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Either that or My Little Pony. <laughs> Excellent. My Little Arcade. That's right. Oh, that, that's what we should have called our, our, our show. That should have been our show title. My Little Arcade. 
<laughs> launching soon new show from mike and gary <laughs> that's right so yeah it it uh it ran through as you said 133 episodes in total syndicated and and i know that i've that i've seen it since then they ran the entire series on G4 a few years ago, back when G4 was still a cool network. But I know that I've seen it here and there since then. It does have an official uh, official webpage, Starcade.tv. It's terrible and it's ugly, but you can see every episode there. And I like the fact that they have it arranged by game, too. So you can see the episode number. You can watch them by episode numbers, or you can go over to the, the game page and select the game you want to see them play. That's really cool. And you're right that it's a useful and interesting website, but it is a horrible looking website. <laughs> this is, we're talking like GeoCities Web 1.0 here, folks. It's it's bad. And myself was one of those big under construction <laughs> animated things. <laughs> yes. And the dancing hamster up in the corner or something. You no, know, I, part of me wonders if that's, that wasn't an intentional touch on the web designer's you know, from the web designers to kind of make it feel like the old-time 80s television or something like that. But really, guys, you don't need to do that. The stuff is also available on YouTube if you prefer a more modern interface. You'll notice that uh, I'm sure if, if you listen to the show for any length of time, you've heard us. We, we do insert clips uh, from the Starcade into various uh, shows, especially when we're talking about a game that they played uh, because it's 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 a lot of fun. Did you mention so Mark Richards? I think is where you had left off talking about the hosts. Uh, mm-hmm. He went for the first thirteen episodes. Uh, he was the the host, and Ted Turner actually replaced him because they they felt that Richards didn't look comfortable on camera and didn't seem didn't seem very interested at all in the video games, and so he was replaced by Jeff Edwards with episode number twenty four. Excuse me. So the first twenty three episodes were. Uh, hosted by Mark Richards, and then from there on out, it was uh, Mark Edwards. This is Starcade, TV's first video arcade game show. A game show for today. And here's your host, Mark Richards. Welcome to Starcade. Our two players have been warming up for today's exciting competition, and they'll be playing each other for fantastic prizes by competing on the world's newest and most exciting video arcade games. Players, do you think you've warmed up enough? Yes. How about you? You want to play and have some fun? Let's go play Starcade. There was the, the, the narrator who was Kevin McMahon. McMahon? Yes, Kevin McMahon. I really enjoyed the the interplay, especially between him sometimes and the host, where McMahon would talk about a game and then kind of toss it back to the host, and there was a little bit of teasing and, and play, and you could tell that these guys didn't really take it too seriously, but they were having a great time, and especially with some of the more, let's just say, socially awkward contestants, it worked really well. So there are certain titles, movies... Hits, cult classics, whatever you want to call them, that were recorded back in the 80s on somebody's VHS and have slowly made their way onto YouTube and they've been remastered. Things like the Star Wars Holiday Special, you know, it's they're, they're crappy VHS recordings, but they've been cleaned up over various generations and they begin to look more and more digital. I'm, I'm sort of glad that nobody has ever done this with the Starcade episodes. They still look like that grainy sort of where you hit the record button on the VHS player mm-hmm. and it's doing the tracking thing and it looks kind of crappy, but you can still see what's going on. There's something very, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for here, but there's... It, it's just really authentic. Yeah, I enjoyed the game show then. Definitely like it now. It's worth checking out, I think. 
Oh, absolutely. I have a real soft spot for it. And this is something that, unlike a lot of the games, the popular games that we've talked about and former shows, I both enjoy the game and have that nostalgic connection from remembering playing them in the past. We've also looked at a lot of games in the history of our show so far that I had never played, so I don't have that nostalgic connection. I just really like them. And this feels similar to that to me because I never watched this show in the 80s, never even heard of it in the 80s. And now I love it. So while I have no nostalgia connection, it still seems like you're saying very authentically 80s. And it's really fun. It deals with a subject that's really close to my heart. I love watching the people play the games on it. They're playing sort of bigger name games and some of the really obscure stuff that we've played <laughs> whenever it necessarily <laughs> appeared. But I've only watched, I think, maybe now a total of 25 or 30 episodes that I've actually you know taken the time to sit down and watch. And like you're saying there's 133 of these things. So there's quite a few to get through. I'm really enjoying it. Like, I, I'm, I'm super glad that I kind of stumbled on the show ages ago. And every once in a while, I'll be searching for something or searching for something for this show. And it'll bring up Starcade. And I'll just sit down for the next 22 minutes and watch the episode. It's really entertaining. I like the fact that that they found a way to make it interesting, too, because as Flack and I discovered at the Kong of 3, it can be really boring watching somebody play a video game for more than about 15 or 20 minutes. Even the best in the world, like Billy Mitchell or Steve Wiebe, gets kind of old after a while. And the 30-second limit, I think, allowed them to keep it fresh and to keep the format moving. And so you're not just sitting there watching two guys play a game for a half an hour. In case people haven't actually seen the show, I guess we should talk a bit about the, the format sure, of not? each show and how they go through. So there's two players. You know, We talked about how in the original pilot, it was 24 people playing. But the real show, as it got broadcast for the 133 sort of official episodes, it's usually two players competing, and they're going to play through three rounds. Each round starts with an arcade game-related question, and the first to buzz in and get it right gets to pick one of the five games on offer to compete. And then the two players play that game for 40 seconds for most of the show, it seems. I think it was then later expanded to 60 seconds and then later brought down to 50 seconds, but in that sort of 40 to 60 second range. <laughs> and then there's a second round, which is essentially the same thing again. But by the end of the second round, the player who's at that point in the lead could play a thing called Name the Game. And again, I think this was only on the earliest shows. And if you could name... Uh, it was either three or four games just from screenshots and they would win a prize. And then there was a third round doing the same thing again where they have the starter question. Whoever wins gets to pick a game. And this third round is shorter. It's only 30 seconds. Then I think later expanded to 40 seconds. And the whole idea was at the end of the three rounds, whoever had the highest cumulative total score, they've won now the official game show. So they'd win some sort of prize. But then they'd get to pick one of the two remaining games that had never been played of the five on offer for that given episode. And then they would play that game in a bonus round and they had to get, okay, how does this work? So they got 30 seconds to get a higher score than the average of 20 other people who had played the game for also for 30 <laughs> seconds. So it's a little kind of weird. And then if you won that, you would win the big prize which ideally would be an arcade game, but could be a robot or a jukebox, or I think they had these invitational episodes. I watched a couple of those, and you could win a vacation and a roll of quarters. So it was kind of weird on the invitational ones. The general idea was you would go on the show, and ideally you would come home with your own stand-up arcade game. It followed the format of a lot of game shows at the time, and that would follow it, wherein you would have the contestants play off against each other, and then the winner would advance to some sort of bonus round to hopefully win the grand prize. Again, I've only watched 
you know, 25 or 30 of the shows scattered throughout, but that seems to have been the, the general format for the whole run of the series, as far as I can tell. There was a follow-up game show called The Video Game, which ran from September 1984 to September of 1985, but it came out in a time when arcades were crashing and it never really caught on and it wasn't as popular, so you don't hear about that as much, except in stories about Starcade. Uh, and there was a game show after that called The Video Game Challenge, which some people say didn't make it into production, and, oh. but there's somebody else. So there's there's a webpage called uh, allincolorforaquarter.blogspot.com that's got a big, long history of Starcade, and it talks about and the article itself says video game challenge never made into production, and then the first commenter said, actually, it was produced. I should know I was on it. So there's a lot of really neat history on that page. Definitely worth checking it out. Yeah, and one of the interesting things about this particular format is, and it never occurred to me before, but I guess there's some strategy in picking the games. Because, you know, you and I have competed for score every single video, normal episode we've done for No Quarter. Of course, on some games, you know, we're scoring hundreds of thousands of points. and some games, you're scoring hundreds of points. It's you. Now, last week, yes, you scored hundreds of thousands and I scored hundreds. But generally, <laughs> we're both scoring in the same order of magnitude of each other. So I guess, considering you're going to play three games, if you can be the guy who's fastest with the buzzer and pick the game, especially as you move on, on picking that third round... You can intentionally pick a high-scoring or a low-scoring game. Like, if you're way ahead, let's say you play two games and you, you win and you get to pick the third-round game and you're ahead by 10,000 points, you're going to want to pick a low-scoring game so it's much harder for your opponent to get an overall larger score. Whereas if you're behind, you're going to go and want to pick a really high-scoring game so you have a chance to leapfrog and actually win. So there's a bit of strategy. And I don't know if actually people applied that strategy, but it seems like that's the strategy you'd want to bring to the table if you were actually a competitor. Yeah, I had a similar thought as I was watching these these games where it seems like you would pick a strategy as you were playing the game itself to quickly get as many points as possible, not necessarily trying to get to the next level or to extend your lives because you only had 30 seconds and that was, that was it. That's all you got. So it didn't really matter whether you cleared the whole level. It mattered whether you could get to the pill and get all four ghosts and get the 1600 point bonus rather than surviving long enough to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. If you think you're going to win, you want to leave at least one game unplayed of the five on offer that you could play in the bonus round and do well at because that's where you get a chance to actually win the big prize. And you don't want to leave two games you suck at because then you won't be able to go home with an arcade, which is the whole point of going and competing. So, yeah, I, I really like the way that they were able to sort of work in a lot of different game elements, especially later on, and make them work. As, as you said, Carrington, the first pilot was a disaster and would not have worked had they tried to go forward with that. But they, they stuck to some tried and true game show formulas and it worked out really well. It's interesting that it switched hosts, that it did like the Darren from Bewitched thing, where there's so many episodes with one guy and then suddenly there's a new guy. Yeah, and I think, again, that had to do probably more with Ted Turner's personality. You know, he's a kind of a colorful guy and it's, you know, he named the network after himself. And he was the one, I think, who replaced uh, Mark Richards because he was boring and didn't seem like he was interested <laughs> in the games. Well, I had read a trivia thing saying that Jeff Edwards didn't ever play video games before this show either, but was sort of more professional at being able to show enthusiasm <laughs> right because that's the job right so those are our championship teams and now here's your host for Starcade, jeff edwards 
All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Hi, welcome to one of those very special days in Starcade when we find out who is the champion among champions. We have with us four teams of Starcaders. They have already played and won on previous Starcade shows, and they're back to compete against each other. And one of them is going to win this RB5X programmable robot. Starcaders, good to have you back. Now, before the show, we matched you up at random to see who would be the opponents in today's two matches. The winners of each match will go on to play each other for the championship. So, Kevin, if you will, tell us who the first two teams are. I like having seen shows scattered now throughout the whole run. I like Jeff Edwards better. I think he was a better choice for host. He's a little more fun, a little more playful. And I thought, like you mentioned, the interplay between him and the announcer, Kevin McMahon, is a little more fun as well in the Jeff Edwards era. Right. He could at least pretend like he liked what he was doing. <laughs> right. And he'd also roll his eyes. And I think he, he was sort of good natured away. But because Kevin McMahon, the announcer, would sometimes say things where I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I was watching one episode where they did this thing that, in fact, we haven't talked about them yet, but they'd come back from commercial and they would have something called the uh, Starcade Hotline. Mm, yes. and it'll be like a little mini info or news segment. They would talk about like a current high score or the high scores of some of the crew members, or here's a look at a new game coming soon or an idea or, or just a little little segment, something to, to just bring the show back from commercial. And they were there's one of those where they're talking about death in video games, and in particular <laughs> in one of the Laserdisc games, I think Dragon's Lair. And in Dragon's Lair, they're saying, you know, Dragon's Lair, the he dies in many of these ways. And now here's a man who knows all about death on video. It's just, and that's how he brings, throws it over to the host, Jeff Edwards. And I guess he just sort of looked like surprised <laughs> that he said that, but then took it in stride and kept going. And I thought, you know, that that's pretty funny. So that kind of thing really, I find very entertaining. Uh, so, so as I was reading this documents that we would need to know to do the show, Carrington, uh, I kept seeing the That's Incredible video game tournaments. Uh, which starred Eric Ginner or Ginner, Darren Olson, and Ben Gold. Of course, uh, a couple of those names might be familiar to those of you who have seen Chasing Ghosts and, and King of Kong because they were secondary characters in those movies. And in fact, I think Ben Gold actually talked about winning one of his video games on That's Incredible. I could never really find the link between that the That's Incredible performance and Starcade. Do you know anything about that, Carrington? <laughs> nope. I awesome. don't know anything about this, but That's Incredible. I remember I remember the show sort of vaguely. I haven't thought about that in forever. Holy cow. That's a, Next, we're going to be talking about Battle of the Network Stars. Oh, my goodness. This is seriously old school. <laughs> so, Carrington, did you watch any episodes specifically? Of That's Incredible? Well... <laughs> Not that, well, that too, but of Starcade. Well, I did. I, I decided to pick an episode and sort of research it. Because we're sort of making up this show as we go, and this is a different format for this particular episode. And I really honestly wasn't sure what we were going to talk about, so I thought, I'll pick a particular episode of Starcade. Uh, we'll watch it, and I'll try to read around the, the background of it. Glancing around, the one I decided to pick was one of the different episodes. Uh, we had mentioned before how they had invitationals. So they'd have episodes sometimes where they were bringing back former winners that would come back and play against each other to win a trip. And they also had episodes sometimes where it would be like the, there was an all Star Wars show where instead of being you pick random things, it's just going to you're going to keep playing Star Wars. Oh, a theme and show, it was a way right? to really promote a particular show. Yeah. So they had an all cliffhanger show and that caught my eye because we had talked about cliffhanger. And so I watched that episode and the winner ended up. Oh, spoilers. The winner was <laughs> a fellow named Mark Walsh. So I went over to the official Starcade site and first I watched the episode and it was really fun. And they played cliffhanger and it was all cliffhanger. And there was two guys playing cliffhanger and a third guy who was 
was like a cliffhanger pro who just played cliffhanger in the background to show people. And he was going to play like the game all the way through. So you could see the ending at the end of the episode. It was just like cliffhanger, cliffhanger. All we're going to talk about is cliffhanger. It was kind of a weird episode. <laughs> okay, Andy, nice to meet you. And you are? My name is Mark Walsh. I'm a sophomore at Camp Lindo High School in Moraga, California, where I play trumpet in the marching band. Oh, good. I'm also interested in computers. I like writing computer games, and I also have written one magazine article that's been published, and I'm working on another one right now. Terrific. Good for you, Mark. A lot of accomplishments there. As you know, our contestants are matched up based on their ability in playing today's games, and one of you is going to have a chance to win this fabulous video arcade game. It is Cliffhanger. And maybe that'll give you a little clue as to what a special game this is. You guys shake hands, and Kevin will tell us why this is kind of a special day here on Starcade. Kev? There's only one game on today's show, Jeff. It is... Cliffhanger. And, sweeties, you're gonna love it. <laughs> okay, Kevin, I know we're gonna be, we're gonna be going with the with the uh, dialect today. I bet. All right, cliffhanger it is, and Andrew and Mark. So this Mark guy competed, and he ended up winning, and he actually won the cliffhanger. He won the whole thing, won the bonus, took home the cliffhanger arcade game, won the whole thing. So I went on the official Starcade site because what's nice about there, like you were saying, they've got you can look up by show, you can look up by arcade game, you can also look up the contestants, and so they've got a list of all the contestants, and then. A lot of them have done what they call checking in, where the person says, oh, yeah, I was that guy. And they'll write in a letter and they'll talk about their experience and they post it on the Starcade site. So it's kind of fun after seeing an episode to read about that. So I looked up this Mark Walsh fellow on the official Starcade site. It says Mark was a contestant on a special cliffhanger show. Cliffhanger was a brand new Laserdisc game when this show was taped. And when the show was over, Mark took home his very own cliffhanger game. We invited a previous Starcade contestant, Marcello Hasman. I think it was Marcello. Yeah, Marcello Hasman to come and play the cliffhanger game during this special show so all the Starcaders could see the fair damsel rescued. <laughs> when the show ended, Marcello did just that, or at least Cliff, the suave international hero, saved the princess with assist from Marcello. So it's got this, it talks about the episode and how fun it was. But then what's really interesting, when you dive deeper, I found an article in the December 1999 edition of Game Room Magazine where this Mark Walsh guy wrote in an email talking about his experience on the show. And he has like a whole bunch of other info <laughs> that did not make it on the official, <laughs> the official site. He talks about how by this point they had switched. There was those original 13 episodes. And then Ted Turner came to them and said, this looks great. What about doing it daily? And he upped the, the number of shows that they were going to purchase from just a 13 to 133 or something and said, I want to put it out much more often than just Saturdays. Let's produce a whole bunch really quickly. So the way they produced them by the time Mark Walsh was on the show was they would bring in a whole bunch of contestants. They would all be in like a green room. Then they would bring them out two at a time, put them through makeup and then have them play their game. So some contestants would have to sit in this green room and sort of, and get nervous. So he talks about waiting backstage and he talks about how when they go to the tryouts, they were specifically told it's important not to dog it because they tried on each episode to match up two people who are relatively close in arcade skill on the games that were selected because otherwise it wouldn't be an interesting episode if one guy just walks away with it. So they were really worried that contestants, as you might want to do, would play not up to their best in the tryout so that when they're on the show, they can win because there's something. So they would say, if, if you score 
way better on the show than you do in the tryouts. We're just going to stop the episode and we'll kick you off and we'll bring on other people. So that was how they tried to stop people from dogging it. He's backstage. He had gone and tried out once, didn't get called in. They called him back and he's sitting there with a whole bunch of other people and he's been told who he's going to be paired off with. So Mark and this other fellow are sitting there and the other guy, he says, is trying to psych him out. He's talking about how amazing he is, all these various shows, (laughs) telling him what his high scores are. And he goes, I'm getting more and more nervous. I don't know. And, And then they go out onto the set and he's very surprised to see that it's just six cliffhangers. Like, he wasn't told it was all cliffhangers. The, the announcer talks about how these two kids have been picked to be on the show because they're really good at cliffhanger. And he's thinking, that kind of makes no sense because I don't think, he says, I don't think I played it more than once or twice <laughs> in testing. And I don't recall being very good at it. So the kids are quite surprised that they are supposedly good at cliffhanger. And then they, he says they'd also brought in this cliffhanger expert. So Mark writes that uh, this other fellow had previously been a contestant winning on the Dragon Slayer episode. But I think the real reason he came back is because he was dating one of the crew. Ah. And he didn't actually play the game during the show, but he stood at one of the machines pretending to play whenever we were competing. And then I guess they just dubbed in the, the video later. So hmm. it wasn't done the way that the official site and all the official records say that it was done. Interesting. So yeah, so then it goes to the game and he said, and he talks about his experience on the show, which is fun. Like he sort of botches the first question and then he does well. And then after two scores, he was slightly ahead. So he got to play that name the game round and he named them all four games correctly. So he says, I, I want a cheap LaSonic cassette player and a cheap Miss USA collection necklace, <laughs> <laughs> which I remember that is what he won. And then he says he, he did really well in the, in the third round that locked him into the final round of play. And he says, and I remember this from the episode also thinking it's weird. He goes, so he wins the third episode. And he did basically a perfect round because this time they're just playing the same bits over and over again because it's the same game every time. And he goes, and I thought it was pretty harsh when Jeff Everett basically told the competitor, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you should just quit. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Great play. No mistakes at all. Head on back. And he's coming down. Andy, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know whether you have a chance or not. You can get in there and uh, hope for some high-scoring screens and hope it works out. Uh, all I can say is good luck to you. Thank you. Don't get killed. <laughs> or maybe maybe that's the easy way out for you. I don't know. <laughs> all right, cliffhanger it is. You have 40 seconds. He says, because he won the game, his prize was the RB5X home robot, which he sold a couple of years later for $300. And then he said the robot company went bankrupt basically in the same week his robot arrived. So the company never got around to telling Starcade that they gave him the robot. So Starcade then, about a year later, sent him a big roll-top desk as a consolation prize because they said, I'm sorry, you didn't get your robot. He's like, oh, thanks for the desk. (laughs) So he won in the round, and he says mostly because he just had played the same game over and over on the show and just got good at it he, he says hence i spent my teen years with a cliffhanger machine in my bedroom and he talks about how the machine had some glitches and he had to go to the local bally shop and swap out some parts and things but because he had now cliffhanger he actually subsequently became really good at cliffhanger in a way he wasn't when he was billed as a cliffhanger expert on the show and he says he got good enough that um there was a cliffhanger at the local Chuck E. cheese and just for the hell of it i once played it through blindfolded and using my feet ah. That's hilarious. And they said 1986, I went off to college, and soon after, my parents moved the machine to the garage, which is where it sits now. So it's really interesting to see the episode first from the like the official account that's listed on the Starcade site, and then separately from the point of view of one of the kids on the show who was the winner. It said, I don't think that guy was really playing. I think he was dating a member of the crew, and I wasn't a cliffhanger expert. They just brought <laughs> us on. And yeah, the whole show, I find both the the history of the production of Starcade and then watching the individual episodes to see how they play out. It's all really interesting, really fascinating. It seems to be as 
sort of rocky and shoot from the hip as the arcade industry itself was at the time. Like you said, it's really fun to watch this because it still looks like authentically 80s. It looks like something that somebody's just put a VCR in and I'm happy it looks that way. Uh, I just really enjoy watching these things. Carrington, earlier you were, you were talking about the production trials and tribulations that they had to go through. And I was reading this, reading an account here that talks about Caruso and Arthur and how they got it, got it onto NBC. It says uh, Caruso and Arthur revamped the show's format after, after the pilot, uh, redesigned the set, and then contacted NBC in Los Angeles to make an appointment with Phil Ross, uh, then VP of O&O, as you said. After they sat down, Ross pushed a button, causing his office door to automatically slam shut. Caruso and Arthur began enthusiastically pitching in the show, reading from the script and showing him the pilot. After three hours, Ross asked them how they'd gotten into his office when they told him they'd just called and made an appointment. He said that he admired their chutzpah and suggested that they contact Alex Trebek to host the second pilot. That's hilarious. There's a lot of really neat sort of behind-the-scenes information and stories that you can find on the web now. The show is old enough where this stuff has gotten out and people can talk about it and not worry about being sued or hurting anybody's feelings. Uh, and that's kind of one of the neat things, I guess, about having a resource like Star Starcade TV and, well, you know, things like web pages and blogs, as, as obvious as it seems now, where people can talk about this stuff and you can go and find it easily. And Carrington, you and I can research a show, uh, a show uh, about Starcade. <laughs> yep. But I found more than anything else, watching these episodes made me want to go and play more games. And so I think that's what we're going to do next week. More games, you say? I like we're more gonna games. We're going to get back to the games. And in fact, here's what we're going to play next week. So I think that kind of wraps up everything we had to say about Starcade. Obviously, there's some really great resources out there that I suggest you go and read if you're interested in the behind the scenes. But more than anything, just go and watch some of these. I mean, they're just outstanding. And, you can, and they're 22 minutes long without the commercials. It doesn't take a long time to watch one of these episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I think people should check out the official site, which we said is kind of 90s looking, but um, has tons of info. You can see all the episodes there or check them out on YouTube. Highly recommended. Definitely worth watching. Carrington, thank you for podcasting with me this week. You're welcome. And we will see you all soon. <laughs> Bye. Here's the latest video game news from the Starcade Hotline. Living inside a video game can be perilous. You could get wrapped up, thrown down, outrun, trapped, splattered, dunked, derezzed, bounced, and even bitten. It's no easy job being inside a video game, but it's certainly different. And now back to a man who knows more about video death than any other man, Jeff Edwards. Okay, Kevin, thank you. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. When we must leave you Sorry that we have to go 
see you all again next week on another Starkin' Show. Da -da 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 -da.